0: and that was just trying to get into a very simple bullying decision based off content because things would come through poorly formatted, um, completely randomly formatted, You know, all of the issues with routing and subdelegation of MX records, all of that stuff was just just a nightmare.
1: Hello, and welcome to Talking Email with Postmark. I'm your host, Merrick Loader, and in today's episode, my guests, Sean McAfee, Director of Tech Ops at Jazz HR, and Patrick Graham, technical lead on Postmark's customer success team, talk to us about inbound email. We'll first discuss how inbound processing and parsing works, and then explore how Jazz HR, a leader in the recruiting software industry, utilizes this functionality to power two-way messaging for their platform. We hope that you'll come away with some ideas on how you might be able to implement inbound email for your business or side project. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Thanks for having me, Merrick.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited for uh, being the first guest in your podcast.
1: We're excited to have you. Um, Sean, let's get started with some quick intros. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and your path to tech ops over at Jazz HR?
0: Yeah. Um, my name is Sean McAfee. Um, I've been doing this for about 15 years. I uh, started at a startup that was involved in public health disaster preparedness. We got bought by a healthcare IT company. That got a little old, a little quick. Uh, so I landed at what it was at the time, the Resumator. Uh, We've rebranded it a couple of times since then. Uh, And in my role of director of tech ops, my team is in charge of compliance, uh, system operations, uh, DevOps work, uh, automation, build process, those types of things, as well as sort of what vendors do we use? What's the platform that we provide to the developers to go from code they write to what users see? So that's how we get involved with Postmark and similar vendors uh, in my current role.
1: Cool. And we're certainly uh, going to get into that in a moment. And Patrick, you've you've been a customer advocate at some pretty noteworthy companies from the likes of Uber to DocuSign. Do you want to tell us about your path to technical support and how you ended up at Postmark?
2: Sure. So back in 2012, um, I started working for a legal services company called ABC Legal in Seattle. Um, I worked for them for a year or two just doing general support. Um, And then as I got more interested in the uh, technical space, um, I started working for Uber as one of their first remote support reps. Um, And then when eventually I wanted to get a little bit more technical, um, I joined DocuSign as a technical customer success manager. I worked for them for a couple of years um, and eventually found that my work-life balance was getting a little bit out of whack. Uh, So luckily came across Wildbit and started working for them on the Postmark customer success team.
1: Cool. Well, thank you guys for that. Uh, And Sean, I'd like to just extend an extra special thanks to you and the rest of the Jazz HR team for being the first Postmark customer brave enough to actually join us on the show. So thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, Sean, you want to kick things off and just tell us a little bit about Jazz HR and give us a brief overview of the company's history?
0: Yeah. Uh, so Jazz HR is, uh, we call ourselves an applicant tracking system. It's recruiting software. And we are focused on helping companies uh, grow by exceeding their recruiting goals. So what we do is we replace the manual hiring efforts. Uh, inbox recruiting is something we use, we use fairly frequently uh, with tools and automation to help spread the reach of your job and then deal with the avalanche of candidates that you hopefully get because we're so good at what we do. Um, <laughs> we started uh, 2009-ish as the Resumator. Uh, for a while there, it was a pretty buzzy company uh, before a bunch of other first move or disadvantage. Uh, so we rebranded sometime around 2015 to Jazz. Uh, we started getting the perception in the marketplace that we were a resume library or something like that. So Resumator is a nice, cute name, uh, but it implied things we weren't. So we rebranded to Jazz in 2015 and then uh, augmented that to Jazz HR a little later when we found it hard to do SEO improvements on the word Jazz. <laughs> so uh, we're focused sort of on the small business uh, arena. That's where a lot of people have those frustrations. We're not trying to solve every HR problem. We're not going to be ADP and building like this one all-in-one HRIS. But there is a underserved market for tools like that, where you only need something to help you do what you want to do. You don't want to do things, you know, you don't want to mold yourself to the tool. So that's sort of where we fit in. Very easy to start using us, very easy to start getting results. Uh, And it's fairly lightweight in terms of what you actually have to do to use it. So that's what we do. That's what we're focused on. That's our go-to-market and it's working.
1: Well, thanks for that. And I'm certainly excited to learn a little bit more about the the workflow of the platform itself. And we'll get into that in a moment. Before we touch on that, I'd like to clarify for, for our listeners kind of what we mean um, when we talk about, you know, inbound email processing and parsing. Um, Patrick, do you want to give us just a quick overview uh, of what we're talking about here?
2: Uh, sure. So we're talking about the ability for, um, companies to receive inbound email from their users um, and then bring that into their own application um, and and do additional processing or whatever they need to do with that uh, parse email once it's inside of their own system.
1: Cool. So I guess just just to make sure that we're we're all on the same page, how is this type of receiving different than, let's say, how you'd be receiving an email in a regular mail client? Sure.
2: So when, when an email is sent out by the sending mail server, it'll check the domain of the recipient and check the MX record for that domain, and then um, send the email over to the receiving mail server using that MX record. Um, and typically what would happen is uh, that mail server would then populate that email into somebody's um, email client in their inbox, um, hopefully. And what, what happens when you use uh, inbound processing and parsing with a service like Postmark or another ESP is instead of that, that final step going to the email client, um, to the recipient's inbox that way, what would happen is your, your own application essentially becomes um, the email client where you accept that email um, with your own application, process it, and then display it to your users however you see fit.
1: Cool. So it sounds like based on what you're sharing, there's actually a fair amount of similarities between kind of how a traditional mail client receives a message and, and what inbound processing and parsing is um, with a you know service like Postmark or another ESP. Can we just take it one step further and perhaps you could just give us a kind of a high level overview of kind of what's going on behind the scenes to process and parse an email um, in a service like Postmark?
2: Sure. So um, to to process emails with a service like Postmark, um, how we handle it at Postmark is you would actually use an MX record um, like normal, but you actually point to inbound.postmarkapp.com. And that tells the senders who are sending um, email to your domain, hey, send this over to postmarkapp.com with that inbound subdomain. And then what happens is Postmark will receive the email instead of it going to your own mail server or some other hosted mail server. We'll take it. We'll uh, parse it on our end and then turn it into a well-formatted JSON. And then we'll post that to your own URL. So then you have the data in your application and then you can show it to your users, uh, trigger some additional processes based on the uh, incoming email, um, anything like that.
1: Cool. Uh, Thanks for that overview, Patrick. So getting back to you, Sean, uh, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the role that email plays for Jazz HR. Can you speak to that?
0: Certainly. Uh, so I mentioned earlier that what our application really does is helps conduct your hiring process. So there's basically two audiences for email, our users and then applicants or candidates to a job. And the very different use case um, for the users. It's primarily transactional, password resets, um, things like that. You have a new applicant, uh, traditional messages, you can get a daily digest of the applicants you've gotten. For the candidate side, that's how all the communication's routed. So, for example, internally, our HR, VP of HR, Corey, is the one who actually does the phone screens. So what happens is a candidate comes in, we all get everyone on the hiring team, so everyone involved in hiring gets a message that says you have a new candidate, and that's all sent through our ESP. And then when that comes in, you log in, and you can put feedback, and you can at mention, you can do all these things, and it keeps a communication log uh, in the app. And based off your settings, it may send those emails out to the other people on the hiring team. So I could say, at Corey, hey, I really like this guy. And he'll get an email that says, I've left feedback. I really like this guy. Uh, from the candidate side, that's how the communication is done. Um, someone applies and we have the ability to send an automated uh, email. So maybe you say, you know, how much experience you have in customer service, one to two years, three to five years, you know, five to seven. And if you don't select five to seven, you automatically get rejected and you get an email that we allow you to schedule. So it doesn't look like you automatically got rejected immediately. And it says, Hey, sorry, here's, you know, we're looking for someone else, whatever the pre-can template is. If it is someone that you're interested in talking to, you can send them a message and say, Hey, let's talk. And they can reply. And when they reply, it goes into their profile in the app instead of just sitting in that HR manager's. Uh, inbox. So you can actually see the life cycle of the communication inside the candidate profile in the app. So it really opens up hiring. No more forwarded email chains. Hey, you know, hiring manager, this is what this person on the interview thought. Um, all of that just lives inside the app. So that's really the primary thing is that communication with a candidate. That's the important thing that we capture replies. If you reply to your password reset email, you get a no reply. We don't even have that pointed at Postmark because we're just going to reply with the no reply. So it's really on the candidate side where Postmark brings that value because it does open up. Email is either one-on-one communication or uses awkward mailing lists and listservs and things like that. Um, this really just opens it up and makes it be a native communication in the app. No different than like if you're looking at a Facebook thread.
1: Wow. So, it, so, I mean, clearly, you know, email plays a, a, a fairly central role in the value that you're bringing to the table. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Especially, you know, I mentioned the go-to-market. Um, our biggest competitor is inbox recruiting, which is people live in an email. So since we're asking people to make the leap from email, which is still very communication driven, you know, it's email to an app, they want to at least have that piece of it, where they're able to easily communicate with the candidate uh, in a format that's, you know, acceptable to the candidate. Um, I've been on the other end of hiring processes, where I'm expected to create an account, you know, in order to communicate with an employer. And there's such a burden to people doing that on the candidate side, you may lose a good candidate, because you chose to use a solution that uses a you know, secondary or tertiary form
1: of communication that you're not used to. For sure. So, I mean, basically the recipient or the applicant for the job, they get to live in their inbox as if they are sending an email back and forth with uh, the the company that they're applying to. It's just that you folks are effectively obfuscating that by using a third party ESP like a postmark to basically manage that back and forth, correct? Yep. Because it's a thousand times easier. (laughs) Cool. I just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page. I'd love to get a, you know, you guys have been around for some years. I'd love to get a, a brief history of how you guys have, have managed uh, the sending and receiving process uh, since you guys were founded. Uh, so this predates me by far.
0: Uh, like it's, it's, it's way before my time, but one of the guys on my team was like employee number four or something like that. So I talked to him. And what he expressed was they thought about like doing email uh, for like two minutes uh, and did like a feasibility thing and said, oh, man, this is complicated. And then just went and found an ESP and said, we're done with this. Uh, so we've actually been doing inbound parsing through uh, multiple vendors. We're, we're on you guys and we like you guys now for 10 years now. It's, it's sort of been the, the crux of how we made those inroads to inbox recruiting, like I mentioned earlier. 2009, that was the predominant way. Like, even Indeed wasn't Indeed just yet. Uh, it was just a job board, right? So it's Monster, or you sit in your inbox, or you buy something really expensive and cumbersome from ADP. So, being able to tell people that we're not changing things too much, but we're making it easier was very important. And one of the ways that we could make it easier for them. Is by running a mail server for them, but we're not gonna do that. So, so they pretty much went directly to the ESP model just because of the horizon. You can see the the, the horizon and where it ends when you implement something with ESP. Mail server, it never ends. It never, ever, ever, ever ends. There's always something. There's always gonna be some edge case, there's always gonna be something that breaks. There's always going to be some auto reply, auto response fight with someone that fills up your queue. You're always going to screw up a post super command and actually do post super dash d all instead of doing post queue. All of those things just happen. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad they made that decision, but they've been on it like from the start. Uh, that's always been sort of a core feature of ours is how you do that communication because think about hiring prior to, you know, HRS systems and things like that. It would be sending a resume, you get a phone call, you have a conversation, you show up, you get hired. And we've sort of kept as much of the spirit of that as possible. We're not trying to dehumanize it or make it be impersonal, but we also need it to be usable. So early on, they, they sort of took that approach of, we're trying to get people away from using email, but Candidates still need to use email. So, what's what's the good balance between um, kind of the legacy operating model and efficiency, both for the customers and ourselves?
1: It sounds like you weren't necessarily part of the original decision making team that you know chose to go with a third party ESP. But do you have any experience yourself, kind of managing uh, mail servers and managing perhaps something similar to, let's say, inbound processing and parsing on an internal mail server?
0: Oh my, yes. Um, So I mentioned before we were in, I was in public health disaster preparedness. So we would actually be delegated .gov domains and things like that. And we'd have to, we had a handful of mail appliances and home rolled servers and things like that, that would manage basically auto reply. Um, This was a while ago. So are you available to help out in this, this public health emergency? Yes, no. We were doing all that manually. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Um, and that was just trying to get into a very simple bullying decision based off content because things would come through poorly formatted, um, completely randomly formatted, you know all of the issues with um, you know routing and sub-delegation of MX records, all of that stuff was just just a nightmare um you know I, I keep saying it but it just never ends it's just there's always something there's always something we had um the one mail appliance vendor we spent significant amount of money on they were pretty good we liked them their domain expired <laughs> and it's 6:30 in the morning and i come in and it's like weird i can't check the mail queues like what's happening because you know it's my pimple face newbie you know i'm on email dump box duty what's going on here and you know it's is around 7 a.m. by the time I pick up the phone and I'm calling Israel and it's like, hey, you know you're not on the internet anymore. Like everything is broken and we can't get email because it can't check for new definitions and it failed closed. And it's, you know, we spent all of this money to outsource this to an appliance and even that can't stay up. So email's hard, <laughs> email's really hard. And even the people who were experts in it, we found ourselves having issues with.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like your team from the get-go made made a good choice to, to kind of offload that burden onto a, an ESP. There's just so many things that can go wrong. Yeah, if, if
0: I had to come in in the interview and they'd say, okay, your day-to-day, you know, you're going to be managing this post-fix install and hey, do you know anything about DoveCot? I mean, it's on my resume, but that's not what I'm looking for. So, you know, probably would have been a very different conversation if we had been talking about managing email again. Uh, it's nice to have G Suite and Postmark. I don't I don't deal with email. It's amazing. It, it's so relaxing. Well, no, I should I do have an email server that I use for testing because we can actually see the full cycle. And I hate it. <laughs> but it's it's a necessary evil because Gmail would throttle our like, you know, automated testing user because of suspicious, you know, unreasonable activity and all these things. So we'd have like automated tests that would hang. So Postmark's really good at delivering. Unfortunately, you know, SMTP transaction, Gmail says, you know, 250, okay, thanks. And then that's good, but it doesn't show it to the user for 10 minutes for who knows whatever you know, tar-pitting reasons. So the only reason why I will ever defend running your own email is if you need absolute certainty in tracking the email from send to showing up in a user inbox. That's my one disclaimer. <laughs>
1: All right, well, so just getting back to the history of how you guys have, have managed your sending, you started with the third-party ESP, but you're clearly no longer with that ESP because you folks are now sending and receiving through Postmark. I'm assuming that there were some things that were either missing or broken. Can you tell us about your journey to Postmark?
0: Yeah, so I'm going to try to be somewhat sensitive in what I say. So assume that I'm actually twice as outraged as as I am expressing. Uh, (laughs) Until like 2018, if you wanted to export a list, a simple list, a simple list, recipient, subject, date, you had to download their mobile app. That was their official recommendation. Um, You want a copy of an email. You want to see what the content is of this email. Well, here's this knowledge base article that involves things like setting up a Gmail account, setting up Zapier to insert a record into bring your own object storage. All of these, like, table stakes features. I, I, I can't export a table from a report, you know, as a CSV in 2018, unless I get an iOS app. Um, that stuff, that was just, I, I didn't get it. And after talking to Postmark, it's very focused on, you know, in the industry, you build per transaction right you bill per message that's the standard you either get a trance or tranche or per message or whatever it is but the game for an ESP is essentially volume when you're at a certain size so their features were not created to help us send email they were created to help more email be sent and it was very obvious once we, we moved away that that's what it was about it was to the point where, The the big final straw for us was they sent an email because some analyst saw three messages that had uh, suspicious looking spammy content. They were spammy content. It was someone who got through our fraud review and started sending on a trial sending out messages. It was three messages out of one million in the last like fourteen days that he saw, and he was able to as like junior support analyst press suspend. On our account and completely shut down our account, like we would get failed transactions trying to send messages. And obviously, that's not great for us. You know, not even getting to the qualitative assessment of whether or not they should have been able to do that, but just blindly shutting off is bad.
2: Hey, hey Sean. So, just quick question on that: Did, so yeah. they weren't. They didn't even queue up the messages or anything. They just went ahead and shut it down to where you were making send requests, and they just were not being sent at all and not stored for sending later?
0: Yep. (laughs) And, you know, they were just SMTP username, password failed, you know, and, and that was just, that was bad. Right. And it's, you know, the middle of the day. So we call support, we get put on hold and we're telling them this is unacceptable. Turn it on and we'll figure this out, but you cannot have us turned off. And they hung up on our CTO and then made his number route direct to voicemail. And this is the support line of a a company that we're paying thousands of dollars a month to. And they basically put phone calls from our CTO into the circular file immediately. So that was sort of the final straw. And while we started looking, Um, usability is one thing. Uh, In this world, you have to deal with the things you can't change. But being treated the way we were treated was the final straw.
2: Wow. So even with all the kind of technical considerations of email, it was really it came down to almost the the support you received from the company. That was the main kind of impetus to to move over to Postmark. No empathy. Yeah,
1: is the problem. <laughs> I want to keep us moving. It sounds like most of the emails just to make sure that we're on the same page. Most of the emails that, that you folks are receiving are coming directly from the applicants themselves, correct? Yep. Um, some some minor stuff with like internal threads, uh, but
0: it's vast majority is candidate facing.
2: I had one quick question on that too, Sean. Um, when when you guys receive an inbound email from a candidate, do you just send out kind of a g- general alert to people interested in the candidate saying, hey, there's a new message from the candidate, or do you actually extract the content of that email and put that into an additional email um, alert that you send out to the the hiring manager or, or whoever's interested?
0: The latter. Um, so, And that's something that we've had to talk to our success team about as well, because when they help troubleshoot, since Postmark actually has... Good troubleshooting tools. Crazy. Um, you can actually see the SMTP message that the recipient's server gave you. Since I've I've had to work with them a lot, um, I've had to explain to them that we send an email, someone replies to an email, it ceases to be an email. It's an internal message, and then we decide whether that internal message will result in further emails. So generally, they get a they get the content. So we basically proxy out. Back to everyone else on that team, the contents of the message, if it meets the business rules that say this should be rebroadcast. So there's some things where it's, you know, a candidate has completed a questionnaire. They just get an email that says candidate has completed a questionnaire, but generally it looks like it's a native email formatted and styled for ourselves.
1: So yeah, so Sean, I definitely want to explore those, those business rules in a moment. Patrick, do you wanna just give us a quick one, two, three, four, kind of how this inbound processing is working with Postmark specifically, and then we can we can jump back into to Sean's use case.
2: Sure, so um, with, with Postmark, when you um, have a Postmark server, it's gonna have an inbound message stream and a transactional message stream. Um, in the inbound message stream, you can tell Postmark, hey, when an email comes into this domain or subdomain, go ahead and turn it into well-formatted JSON and then post the details of that email Um, at my webhook URL that I'm going to specify in this inbound message stream settings. So what happens is an email comes into that um, inbound domain or subdomain, Postmark receives that email, we convert it into JSON, we then post it to the URL that you've told us to post that domain's emails to.
1: Cool. So it sounds like one of the first steps in, you know, building out an inbound workflow is choosing the right domain or subdomain for that inbound forwarding. Sean, can you tell us kind of what your decision process was with respect to choosing that domain or subdomain for JazzHR?
0: Yeah, we actually, um, we don't really present a lot of JazzHR branding to candidates. So we run what we call career pages, which are a list of the jobs that a company has posted. We actually run that on an alternative domain called applytojob.com. Um, that's sort of a newer thing that we did at rebrand. Previously, everything was on the resumator.com. Uh, one of the things that had been in place since 2009 was the domain that was chosen was dropbox.theresumator.com. That caused all kinds of confusion because of the company Dropbox, right? And sure. we'd have customers being like, Oh, why are you sending my stuff to Dropbox? You haven't told us that you share it with them and, and all these things. So there's this challenge of trying to make something seem innocuous, um, but also not making it seem shady. So there's like that that fine balance. So we actually ended up, I can't even remember now off the top of my head. I think it's like MSGS, uh, or, uh, something like that, some abbreviation of like messages. Um, it, because that, we did a couple of, I can't remember the service, uh, where you just give the poll, it's like a UX testing thing. And we put out a, which one of these seems the least shady option? And that one by far, uh, it, it was nowhere close. And we even put super shady looking things in there as kind of like the test to make sure people were being honest.
1: Forgive me if this is, is, is just a silly question, but is there any real reason why you folks wouldn't have chosen, let's say, you know, a subdomain of Jazz HR?
0: That just has to do with the... Um, separation. We actually don't even run our primary app off of Jazz HR. We do have some separation there. uh, But the big thing and why we chose the non-Jazz domain was for the non-branded, unbranded sort of thing on the candidate facing side. So there are still some contexts where we send out messages that have the Jazz branding on it to internal users. But for the most part, we use that obscure but not shady solution just because we're not trying to supersede an employer's brand with
2: our own. Okay. So you, you're almost like white labeling for your own clients, the people doing the hiring. You don't, you don't want Jazz HR going on all their emails that they're sending to their candidates and and
0: back and forth. Sort of. Yeah. And part of that is because we've also had issues where uh, we 've been blown blown up on glassdoor or there's been some misunderstanding where people thought they were applying for a job with us, and they weren't um, so you know part of it is the separation of candidates versus customers and trying to be somewhat brand neutral uh, i wouldn't go so far as white labeling, but we are fairly conservative uh we have like a footer logo, and that 's about it
1: okay so it 's just to to mitigate confusion for the the applicants for your for your customers' companies.
0: Yeah, and you should always defer to
1: your customers' branding, for sure. And Patrick, are there any other considerations you know to be mindful of there when choosing a subdomain or a domain for inbound forwarding?
2: Yeah, the, definitely. The biggest one is um, a, a lot of times people want to um, receive inbound emails still like normal with their Gmail, right? With they've got their own you know root domain. It's myapp.com. They still want to have their um, their employees able to receive emails with their, you know, generic uh, john at myapp.com addresses without those emails instead being routed through Postmark. So you'll definitely want to use a subdomain like inbound.myapp.com or whatever your domain is so that only those emails going to that subdomain get processed by Postmark so you can continue um, receiving your normal, you know, day-to-day communication emails um, internally with, you know, something like G Suite or or Exchange, or Office 365, or whatever.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good point on the corporate side. Um, We also try to provide some insulation. Email is messy, and you can't control what other people do. And because of the nature of our business, you can sign up for a trial and communicate with candidates. And even some candidates have applied to jobs. We know they've applied to a job. And then they start reporting these messages from someone who wants to hire them as spam. Like, we get the FBL, the feedback loop emails, Although no longer from AOL since they migrated all their architecture to Verizon or whatever. And it would be these people reporting spam like job offers. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't end up commingling our corporate enterprise email with basically user injectable garbage in the email, you know, in the global email infrastructure. Just because, say, we did have an issue where we got RBL'd on our domain. We don't have email. Who are we supposed to email? We can't even email people to fix it because our email is broken. So now we're relying on our own Gmail and and things like this that look unofficial. So because we have sort of a shared risk pool with the, you know, the the sum of all of our customers' activities, uh, insulating ourselves a bit from our primary corporate email, and this is, you know, ESP aside, was somewhat of a consideration when we did the rebrand.
1: So it sounds like absolutely at the very least, a subdomain. And then in your case, Sean, it sounds like you guys decided to to take it one step farther and and actually choose a completely different domain that's separate from your company domain. Is definitely
0: consideration. There's the concept in the ops word of out-of-band. And if you put your customer-facing, customer-usable email in your normal email, you no longer have an out-of-band channel should something go wrong.
1: Cool. All right, well, just moving on here, I I take it that the next big step, as Patrick had mentioned, is to receive that email. Can you walk us through the process that you guys went through, Sean, to create the webhook and and maybe talk us through what happens next?
0: Yeah. So we already had um, sort of the framework for the webhook done. You know, what the underlying data model is, is, you know, the primary fields, the headers of an email, right? The data model is already built for you. So it's, who sent it, who are they replying to, what's a message ID, that kind of thing. So when we went to Postmark, we took, I'm not going to say we did a full rewrite, but we took the opportunity to clean it up a bit. And we already had that model, thankfully. The data model was already in place. Um, so we built it knowing that there would be more functionality provided on the callbacks. Um, so it's not just inbound parsing, but it's you know facts about outbound parsing. So we kind of built something that was adaptable. Um, previously, it was very targeted to just accept this message in this format and dump it into the database. Um, but now it is able to communicate with Postmark more than just be a dumb webhook that receives a email address and turns it into relational data inside a database. So that's sort of where we went with that. Um, We did take the opportunity to to do some improvements on outbound send, make it more asynchronous, uh, moved fully away from SMTP to HTTP. So there are other outbound-based things that we did, but on the inbound side, a lot of it was already kind of prior art that we just improved and were able to simplify some of the error handling because we were getting
1: inconsistent behavior from the previous vendor. (laughs) Are there any... I guess key takeaways that came out of that cleanup that you'd be able to share with us.
0: Uh, the big thing would be being able to write the same code and use it for multiple things. So even though there's a different callback address, Postmark one of the things I like about Postmark is you can actually do different callbacks for different events. So we're able to make what is actually one piece of code, but with different endpoints to invoke separate things. So even though it's the same piece of code, we give it a fake you know endpoint, a, a virtual URL that indicates when it's coming inbound that it's a spam complaint or it's a readability hit or something like that, or a read hit. So being able to make it not just receive a message, but receive, not receive email content, but receive any sort of inbound data from Postmark was probably the biggest win we have. And I'll actually name drop Nick Amascado He was the engineer that built it. Uh, he did a very good job making sure that we could take advantage of the more full Postmark feature set as it related to like end-to-end visibility.
2: That's great. So you, you took the opportunity while you were working on the inbound webhook to go ahead and implement a webhook mids, basically for all the other webhooks that Postmark offers like bounces, spam complaints, opens, that kind of stuff.
0: Yep, we've got uh, bounces in a feature guarded state right now. And then everything else is, I mean, it's, it's primarily UX consideration, which is why we haven't implemented it yet. We still have to show how to use it or like you show it in the app, explain what that means, write KV content. So Nick banged it out real quick and is like, okay, here, now we know whether or not, you know, a message bounced. And, you know, it's the dog catching up to the car. Now what do you do, right? <laughs> you start changing your tabular data displays and doing all this content. So it's there on a the technical level. It's just trying to make users understand email. And you're seeing it here. It's, it's, we're all close to email experts and we're having a hard time explaining how email works. So then tracking that into some UX that we design, and then explaining to customers what this means in the app and also what this means for email, that's a pretty steep hill <laughs> that goes way beyond uh, writing a webhook to receive well-formatted JSON.
1: So I guess with that and the kind of mess that email is, I imagine that with all of the emails that you folks are sending that are going out the door and then the replies that you guys are, are getting back from applicants. I take it that this can get messy really quickly. Sean, can you talk to us a little bit about how you guys go about keeping the house clean and, you know, linking conversations back up and creating those message threads? And it sounds like you folks are still sorting through some of how to do that, but uh, I would just love to get a, an overview from you on that.
0: Yeah. So um, we have, there's, there's sort of like two different Things you can respond to. You can respond to a message, right? Or you can send to what we call like the candidate Dropbox and using that Dropbox word again. But it would allow you to send, you can just send a message to an email address and it shows up, right? So you could CC on an out of band communication. So say you wanted to conduct some mild post hiring process and you emailed your benefits broker to set up payroll. You could CC that address and it would show up in that employee record, um, but the primary one is related to just replying to communication. So we actually just have a unique ID and when you reply to it, it's the unique ID at subdomain, domain.com, right? And it, that's how it links it. So in the data model, it's this is this message, this is its ID. It is in reply to this message. Where reply to can be null, and then that's sort of how we kind of construct the chain, and that actually became usable for us because we are doing some texting features, and we wanted to see what a conversation cadence looked like, how many back and forths were there in any average communication, and then take a, you know, factor, weighting factor. Okay, now how many text messages would it take to replace that email, and it was really good that we were able to chase that stuff back because we kind of did build that receive it, then proxy it back out rather than just having the replies directly go. So if we had not been doing the way we've been doing it and we've just been doing email, it'd be incredibly hard to like reconstruct kind of the flow of a message and the cadence of the conversation. So it's used, you know, we use the, dedicated email address, uh, it's either the ID of the, the candidate or the ID of the message that you're replying to. And then that kicks it off through like multiple inbound processing. So we get the inbound parse and we say, oh, this is in response to a communication. Let's go look up that communication, right? Insert it. It's in response to this one. It's it's new ID. Okay, so now what do we need to do? Do we need to resend it? And then that kicks off that cycle again. So emails terminated. initiated and terminated on the Postmark side. And then we just, based off of the context in which the message was sent um, and the settings that the customer has configured for the behavior, either at the account level or in the job or in the hiring team, we decide whether we need to generate additional emails or not. And those additional emails would then essentially be seen as unique, right? They're not actual reply tos. You don't see the same message thread inside the headers, the SMTP headers, which has caused some issues with like outlook.com automatic threading and, and old versions of uh, fat client outlooks automatic threading because it doesn't have that SMTP transaction ID trail. But that's, that's sort of how we do it is is just unique IDs on the email address.
2: Yeah, I'm curious, Sean, do you guys, so you said you use an ID, um, do you use like a uh, any part before that hash, like uh, reply plus the ID at subdomain.domain.com, or you just straight up use, you know, just the ID um, at subdomain.domain.com for the for the address to process those um, inbound messages.
0: So uh, it's funny you should say that. So I mentioned before we use reply-to headers. So we send things out as um, no reply plus unique ID, and it's a short integer ID that relates to um, a specific job but the reply to is actually a more structured and longer one um, that's a little more deterministic. So it starts with, like, for example, it starts with C. Um, If it starts with C, then we know that that is in response to a communication record. So it's response to an email. So that's one of the shortcuts that we have is I know string parsing is not the best thing in the world, but you can cut out a bunch of more complicated logic and database records um by putting the database lookups by just putting a little hint inside that email address. So instead of accepting an email and figuring out which path it should take, it comes in and self-identifies the path that it wants.
2: Cool. That's awesome. Um, and and I think maybe Merrick, the main the main takeaway there is don't try to um <laughs> build rebuild threads based on, you know, in reply to uh headers on the messages or or references headers and things like that.
0: Yeah, and that's the balance is you don't want to, you, you need to maintain email behaviors. But if you've recreated how SMTP works, if you've recreated how email works, then what was the point? You just don't have to run a daemon. So yeah, exactly. it's, it's a very fine line. And you, you sort of break towards convenience. So like, why did we do that Like, essentially namespace-based Addressing because it's easier. We don't have to write additional logic to say, oh, okay, so this has this header. Was this a communication response or is it to the candidate Dropbox? Hmm, how should we do this? It self-identified it because we set the header when we send the message. So why not on the outbound message um, say, oh, and this is the route that you'll take coming back in by just inserting a tiny one character hint into the beginning of a string.
1: That's pretty cool. One of the things that you had touched on earlier, Sean, was kind of some of the business rules and some of the logic that you guys have once you get this uh, kind of parsed email and the JSON back. Are there any things that you can share with us in terms of how you guys, you know, what kinds of things that you guys are using to make, to make decisions as to what to do with, with the, the replies that you guys are digesting back?
0: Yeah, and I mean, since this existed for so long, a lot of it is, right, new development always builds on previous development. So a lot of that logic in terms of should we proxy out, should we resend, and things like that, um, when we moved to Postmark, was just we built the endpoint to receive it, and then we injected into the same space. So all of that decision-making and things like that is essentially portable, because all you're doing is saying, hey, here, here, class, here's a piece of code, or a piece of uh, text that represents a message, do what you will. So that sort of was it was good that that was already built and it evolved over the years. I'm not going to say what we have is perfect, but it is complicated. Like I said earlier about like recreating email, you still need the idea of reply all. And because when you're doing inbound parsing, you're not actually replying to an email message. Um, you're replying to a webhook that was communicated to you via email. You do have to recreate that and, and get that sort of stuff down so it, it, it's hard because you do have to maintain the behavior of email without being email so there there were some there's some awkward parts where things don't necessarily work uh, as you'd expect you know some of the things um that we come across are stuff like uh we mask emails so when i talked about the auto reject email some people choose to put those under the company name instead of under the employer name. The problem is, or the employee, employee's name, so the HR guy doesn't want his name on it. The problem with that kind of thing is that the email address is unique for that interaction essentially. But if you're just interacting with that, when I said we use that um, kind of masked outbound address and then the reply to is the real meat of the address, Uh, email clients behave differently. So I send out an email initially to you that says, hey, I'd like to talk to you. And it comes from a no reply email address that's pseudo unique. Later on, I decide I'm not going to hire you. So I send a message from my company saying, hey, we're not hiring you. It still has my name attached to it because of what the email client on the recipient side decided to do. So we get all kinds of things like that, where the email client tries to be helpful and injects garbage and does this and does that. Uh, Yahoo mail, there's a specific bug in their next gen version. This is like a year ago that reply to just didn't work. And they said, Oh, we'll make reply to headers work someday. Um, In the meantime, you know, candidates aren't getting jobs because they use Yahoo. Um, (laughs) So I kind of went off the rails there, but you know, just, being able to parse email and insert it doesn't mean that you're not gonna have these issues because it's it's just systemic to email on the other side of what you're doing.
1: Email's complicated. Emails and printers, just be glad they work. Email is still complicated despite the despite using a service like a postmark to streamline it a bit. I mean, have you guys had challenges explaining, you know, kind of what's going on behind the scenes to perhaps your less technical team members who are actually trying to troubleshoot some of these things?
0: Oh my yes, Um, (laughs) I've done many, 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 many um, one-on-ones. It's really hard because everyone learns different, and email is as complicated as you need it to be. Um, The general concepts of email are similar, but that breaks down when you start getting into details. So, one of the big challenges we have with inbound specifically is. When you go to outbound and you're looking to see, you know, uh, someone, the customer says, hey, I was trying to hire this employee and they said they weren't getting my emails. Um, We can go and we can go in the inbound or the outbound logs in Postmark and we can see when the email was sent. We can see when their email server accepted it. We can see what SMTP exit code was given when they accepted it. And then we can see that the guy opened it a bunch of times. So, yes, he, he definitely received it or someone who logs into his email account received it um, but then on the inbound side it just the trail seems to go cold so you see postmark received the message postmark successfully put it into your application so when a candidate replies to a hiring manager and the hiring manager says I didn't get the email um, the trail kind of goes cold when you look on inbound because it's no longer email at that point postmark doesn't know that we get we don't give SMTP codes to postmark we just say hey we got it we're good So having to explain that that candidate's response did not go to the hiring manager, it went to our system. And our system decided that it was going to then send out another message that looks like it's a reply from the candidate, but is actually a new message that we've copied the text from the previous reply into and generated and started the cycle over. That's sort of where it breaks down, is understanding that you have to explain email and people have to understand how email works. And then you have to tell them, but forget all of this stuff in this case, because it's entirely different and we do something else. So no, it's not email anymore. So that's been that's been the difficult part is understanding that email terminates on your side and ceases to be email, um, like bi-directionally, uh, once it's handed off to Postmark or handed back to us. So we have had some challenges with that. Um, we do a lot of troubleshooting for customers. Um, I've had an unfortunately high amount of IT managers who don't actually understand how their own email system works. Um, you know, MX records. Uh, if your mail server said that, you know, they don't know that domain, that's I, I can't do anything about that. I looked up foo.com, and it said go here. I said I have a message for a user at foo.com and it said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what else I can do, right? That that's that's where it ends. Sure. Um, oh this message didn't hit my inbox. Well, we logged into Postmark and we saw 250 okay or 250 SMTP okay, you know, message received. Talk to your IT admin, right? It's no different than, you know, back in the day you call and you say, hey, uh, you know, is Johnny home? No, he's out playing. Can I leave a message? Mom doesn't give the message. You don't know that, right? She said she'd take care of it. So um, that's, that's the two difficulties is that it's no longer full cycle email and also that the recipient's email server is the authoritative final answer. Please, please, please stop opening tickets when someone did get a message when their email server said 250 okay
1: so it sounds like you know certainly there are still some points of confusion but i'd be curious to know sean are there some things that have been made easier uh since you folks have migrated over to to postmark to manage some of your sending
0: yeah i mean um just on the like activity log dashboard side light years away i mean previously what what happened right in the old vendor you go and you hover over the information icon right that little eye circle that everyone has and it gives you like the first line of the SMTP output. So that's fine, except, you know, SMTP 451 is like an unofficial code that people use for different reasons. So like, I want to see what the output is. I want the SMTP transaction ID. So I can say, you know, so our success team can reply and say, oh, you know, your email server accepted it. Here's, here's what our side saw. They can go look that up. You know, we're able to say, here's everything we saw. You kind of have to go figure it out. And that just was not possible before. We couldn't, you know, I keep harping on this. We couldn't even export the logs of messages sent to an email address. Like you can copy paste 50 rows at a time and hit next, or you can install a mobile app. So, in terms of like troubleshooting, I've gone from trying to negotiate why it's not our problem with our success team to being able to teach them how to respond to a customer with. Hey, you know, uh, sorry you didn't get it, but your email server got it. Here's the message. Talk to your IT guy. So that's been great to not have to like negotiate with them on whether or not I'm going to look into something. (laughs) They're able to go do it. They're able to provide fairly definitive, final word, authoritative answers on why the person did or didn't get an email in a single email message.
1: So, so just to be clear, I mean that in and of itself was a challenge with some of the other vendors that you guys have worked with.
0: Yeah. You get no information They're They're meant for sending out newsletters. Um, So, you know, being able to actually troubleshoot on an individual basis rather than on aggregate is just not possible.
1: Cool. Well, before we wrap this up, um, do you guys have any just high-level recommendations for for maybe those listeners who are just starting to consider implementing inbound processing and parsing for their application? And I guess specifically, you know, things that, that maybe they should be aware of or, you know, some of the requirements that they'll need to sort out as they as they get going with that? The, the endpoint for the webhook is the easiest part. Um, it is
0: entirely a UX and architecture decision. Um, you know, now you've got this content, what are you going to do with it? That's that's the tricky part. So planning that out is is key. The endpoint is the endpoint. It is simple. I'm sure that someone has a postman collection that mocks out what you need to do to receive a message on inbound parsing from uh, Postmark. What you do with it after that is is that's the meat of the problem.
1: Any tips on that side of it?
0: hire really good software engineers like nick amascata but don't hire him he's taken
1: well this has been a great conversation guys um i think we can wrap things up here i just want to thank both of you for taking the time to be with us today thank you thanks mark and to our listeners thank you for joining us today for this episode of talking email with postmark if you enjoyed the episode please leave us a review on itunes and subscribe to receive updates on all future episodes And be sure to check out the resources section for this episode, where you'll find useful tools and helpful articles on inbound processing and parsing. Lastly, if you're ever looking for advice on how to set up inbound processing for your business or side project, be sure to reach out to us at support at postmarkapp.com, and we'd be happy to help. See you soon.